Well, we're glad you're here, and we're glad that you're, you've made the time to come out and worship the Lord and be a part of this time. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into our scripture reading tonight. We're in Mark chapter 2, and verse 23 is where we're starting. Mark chapter 2 and verse 23. One Sabbath, when he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do a harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. And we thank you, dear God, that uh, you, your word is everything we need to equip us for life and godly living. And Lord, now we just ask that your Holy Spirit would open it up to us. Teach us, Lord. We approach you with an open heart and an open mind, ready to hear your word and then go and do it. So we do ask for your blessing now on, on as we we learn from your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd bless my mouth. Let me um, honor you and all that I say and do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been talking about the scandalous Savior in Mark chapter 2. And this is really part two of last week's sermon, The Scandalous Savior. And um, we've been looking at how in Mark chapter 2, there's four major scandals that Jesus seems to be a part of. The, the first one was healing that paralytic man, not just the healing part, but it was the forgiveness part. Remember to the paralytic man that was lowered down by his friends, he said, your sins are forgiven. And that was a scandalous thing. Right away, the, the Pharisees and the scribes reacted to that and said, hey, no one can forgive sins but God alone. And, and so uh, Jesus said, well, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins, Rise up and walk, and the man gets up and walks out of there. The second scandal that we find Jesus in was calling, gathering tax collectors and sinners to himself. Remember, he walks by Matthew and says, come, follow me. And Matthew leaves his life of tax collecting and starts following Jesus. And that, that night or sometime shortly after, Matthew is uh, most likely having a dinner, and there's tax collectors and sinners there. And the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus for hanging out with the ungodly. Then the, second, the third scandal we see, the third scandal in this, this chapter, is 
Jesus and his disciples are accused of being impious, not being holy enough. Remember, the, the people asked Jesus, and his, hey, John the Baptist's disciples fast, the Pharisees' disciples fast, but how come your disciples don't fast? So we had, you have no authority to forgive sins. You hang out with sinners and tax collectors. And lastly, okay, you're not holy enough so far in this chapter. And then tonight, we're looking at the scandal involving the Sabbath. Of course, the Sabbath means rest. And this time of year, I think we all go, oh, okay, we're talking about the Sabbath. Oh, man, I'm not sure how to approach this or deal with this. Or, oh, it's been so busy. I'm sure most of you feel like, oh, man, we've jumped from family party to family party to baptism party to so on. And we've got all these things going on. And and I've still got shopping to do. And I've still got to get here and get there and, and finish up work and uh, whatever needs to be done by January thir- or December 31st for the fiscal the year to be over, I've got to have all that prepared. But here as we talk about rest tonight, I want you to know that right from the beginning, here's where we're going. Jesus is our rest. That's where we're going. Jesus alone is the one that we will find rest in. So, so just know that that's where we're going. I read a story about a photographer that was snapping pictures of first graders in, in the elementary school and trying to make small talk with them to get them to relax and, and uh, smile for the picture. And he asked one of, the, one of the little girls, he says, what are you going to be when you grow up? And she turned to him and said, tired. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> it's like, wow, you know, what do our kids say when they see us? I'm going to be tired. That's, what, that's my goal in life. I'm going to be tired. I read another story about Maria Brunner of uh, Germany. She was willing to go to jail to get a break. You see, her husband was unemployed, and so she supported not only him, but their three young children by cleaning other people's houses. Even without a job, her husband managed to run up $5,000 worth of unpaid parking tickets. The husband kept the tickets a secret, But as the owner of the vehicle, Maria was responsible. So when she realized she couldn't pay the fine and she started to think about it, she said, well, spending three months in jail really doesn't sound that bad. So she welcomed the thought. She said, I've had enough scraping a a living for the family, she says. As long as I get food and a hot shower every day, I don't mind being sent to jail. I can finally get some rest and relaxation. So the police reported that Maria uh, repeatedly thanked them for arresting her. (laughs) Interesting. Sometimes we need rest so bad, but we don't take it. And we're going to find tonight as we talk about the Sabbath, that this Sabbath rest is a gift to you. It was a gift made for you. Looking back at the Sabbath, uh, there are two things that set apart Israel from the rest of the world around them. Circumcision was one, and the Sabbath was the other. Now, you and I have uh, been born into a post-Christian culture, and some of you to a post-Christian culture, but we've enjoyed weekends. We have an idea of a weekend, Saturday and Sunday being days off. Now, some of you that are younger, you have to work weekends more because you're going to college and so on. But you understand what it means to have a day off in, in our world, in our culture. It's not a surprise to have a day off. And, and, and going beyond that, when you do work, when you're not supposed to, they do something really cool. They pay you more money called overtime. That wasn't the case in the ancient world. In the ancient world, you were 
a slave or a servant, and you just worked. There's no need for rest. But in Israel, they had this thing called the Sabbath. And if you were a slave in someone's household, you got to partake in it still, just for being in someone's household in Israel. You got the day off to to observe the Sabbath. And we find the origin of the Sabbath at the creation. Remember in Genesis 2, um, verses 1 and 3, it, uh, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Now, think about this for a minute. God didn't create a seventh day, a day of rest, because God got tired. Because God doesn't tire out. He doesn't wear out. He's not ever exhausted. He, God is, can never lose anything. There can be nothing ever taken away from Him. And we're talking about even energy. You and I can lose energy, and we need to recharge. Not so with God, the Bible teaches us. Um, God is infinite. And he never needs rest. God's like, oh man, I'm really tired. Whew, been creating the whole universe. Need a break. A little worn out at this point. Got to recharge my batteries. That's not God. And you know what? If, we, if God was that way, he wouldn't really be a God. He would just be a more powerful being. But by calling him God, we're saying, hey, this being is not only spiritual, infinite, he's not only... Um, unchanging, which is that whole idea that he doesn't lose energy. He's all-powerful. That's why we call him God. He's a maximally great being. And, and he's beyond us, above us. But yet he takes this day, this seventh day, and he says, I'm going to rest. It's a day of rest. Resting, obviously, from the creation. But then he goes on to institute this idea, this idea that this will be a holy day. Now, we don't see the Sabbath again until Exodus. The, at the Exodus, we see it come up again. Remember on Sinai, when the people are uh, camped at Sinai and Moses goes up on the mountain and he's there with the Lord and he receives the Ten Commandments and he comes down, and, or the Ten Commandments and the law. He comes down and he starts going through the, the, the commandments and we see in Exodus chapter 20 that you're to keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work. You're supposed to rest. You and your whole household, your slaves and your servants, all those people, everybody gets a day off. It's a crazy idea for the world that, that day. And, and, and more than importantly, this was a serious thing to God. You are to do this. You're not to make excuses. You are to take a day and set it apart to the Lord. It's given to Him. It's His day. And you're to cease from your labors. Now, in general, the Sabbath law was, was, pretty, um, it was pretty simple. It wasn't very complicated. Uh, just take a day of rest. Don't do any work. Save up enough food for that day so you don't have to do cooking and just relax. I know my wife, um, she works during the week and she gets home and, and I see on weekends there's mountains of laundry. I'm like, wow, look at all that laundry. You're doing great. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She, she actually won't let me touch laundry. I, I do get to put away my clothes or fold some. But for the most part, I'm banned from laundry. And guys, I'll tell you a little secret. When you first get married, this is what you do. You take all of your clothes, darks, lights, everything, and you throw them in the washing machine together. And you wash them and say, this is how I do laundry. And then your wife says, 
you're banned from laundry. And you're like, oh, no, really? <laughs> so, anyway, but, but um, I see, you know, in her life, you know, she works during the week and then mountains of laundry and all this sort of stuff. And, and so in Israel, it was, hey, no, 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 you're taking a break. It's a day to the Lord. You're going to rest. Well, Lord, don't, shouldn't I do something? If it's a day to you, shouldn't, shouldn't I build something, some monument or something to you? No, no, no. Just chill. Just hang out. Enjoy being part of my people. That's all you got to do. Wait, that's it? Yep, that's it. Just hang out. Now, the priests were given a little bit different instructions. The priests were to, to make some sacrifices and change out some bread called the, the, the bread of the presence or the show bread. So they were, to, they were excused from the Sabbath and work, but, but they continued also in observing the Sabbath in a specific way. Well, now comes man. You see, the Sabbath was intended to bless man, not curse him. But man is really good about twisting the blessings of God. We have got that down to the science. We will take something that God gives to us and says, this is good, and we will twist it. Just think about most of the sins that we deal with in our culture, in our world, in our lives. They're usually things that God has created, that God has made good, and man takes and completely twists it out of context. One example, sex. Sex, God made, created it, blessed it, said, enjoy having that marriage relationship be blessed in it, and what does man do? Well, I'm going to take it out of context. I'm going to twist it. I'm going to abuse it, and I'm going to turn it into sin. And the same thing happens with the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, recognizing this, recognizing that part of the reason why they were carried off into captivity, started putting fences up around the law. Hey, we're going to, we're going to put up specific fences. That way, that way nobody can accidentally break the law and we don't end up back in captivity because that would be bad. We want to honor God and please God. So their motive behind it was to please God. But what, what happened was they started burdening man. So, so you almost need a day of rest from the day of rest. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, man. Oh, oh, oh whoops. I don't want to break the Sabbath. Oh, I accidentally broke the Sabbath. And they put all these burdens upon man so you're not even enjoying the Sabbath. In fact, it becomes a work. That was never God's intention of the Sabbath. It's amazing how God can give us a law or something good and we just turn it into a huge burden because of our sin nature. That's what sin does in us. Paul says, sin, seizing the opportunity in me. That's what it does. It seizes the opportunity and we go out of control with it. We can't, we can't hold back. And so here tonight we find Jesus walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples pick some grain. Now, it was completely legal, according to the law of the Torah, for the disciples to walk through the grain field and pick out kernels. They, they weren't supposed to reap, and they weren't supposed to winnow the wheat. But to, to go through, because they were hungry, to pick some of the wheat kernels, rub them between their hands to get the chafe away, and blow it away, and to take that kernel and put it in your mouth and eat it, that was totally okay. In fact, there was actually in the Torah, the law of Moses, there was provision for doing just that. The question, though, is what the Pharisees are trying to get on Jesus, what they're trying to catch Jesus in here. And I believe one of the things that they're trying to catch him in is maybe being too far from home. They've walked too far. Hey, you've gone too far on a Sabbath day. Don't do that. 
And so Jesus confronts this, and first he says, have you never read what David did? Nine times in the, New, in the Gospels we read this, where Jesus responds to his enemies with, haven't you read? You, you haven't read this? <laughs> you know, and, and I, I know if I did it, I would do it with a smirk and a, a taunting way, um, but I'm sure Jesus did it in a much more loving way. Um, I grew up as the youngest of three, so I have a little brother syndrome, and I just know how to poke at people. Um, and I forgive me if I ever do that to you. Uh, <laughs> it's my sin nature now. Uh, but he's, haven't you read? How important is it for people who are leading to know God's word? So important. So important for the Pharisees. And, and, and the sad part is probably the Pharisees and the scribes knew more from the rabbi's teaching than less from the words of God. It'd be similar to me reading all of Calvin and only Calvin and reading all of Calvin's commentaries and everything Calvin said and me or, or Augustine or these church fathers and putting so much emphasis on church history and church fathers and, and this is what so-and-so wrote and this is what so-and-so wrote, but I'm never actually reading the Bible itself. I'm just reading what everybody's saying about the Bible or how they're interpreting the Bible. And as I, as I finish reading all of Calvin's commentaries, I find myself preaching on the papacy and being anti-papist and so on because Calvin was dealing with that in the Reformation. But to you and I, it's completely irrelevant. We don't, we're not dealing with it like Cal, Calvin was. And what we find is we, some people can focus so much on the writings about things that they never actually get into the Word itself. And listen, dear Christians, you have been given a gift in God's Word each and every one of you have access to it. You can read it. You don't need special interpretation. Guess what? God's already given you His Holy Spirit. He's already given it to you. All you need to do is pray and ask God, Lord, help me to understand your word. And it will happen. And we have this gift. I've been in places where Bibles are scarce, where, where people copy parts of the Bible and they have their Bible all in pieces of paper. And, you know... <laughs> When you think about Bibles, I, I not only have digital Bibles, I have a Bible on my phone, a Bible on my iPad, I've got multiple Bibles in my office, I've got different translations, I have the Geneva translation, the, Net, the, the New International translation, the Net Bible, the New NASB, I've got uh, Latin, Greek, Hebrew, I've got it all. And there's so many people that don't ever even crack open a Bible. You are so wealthy, American church. You are so wealthy. Not only are you wealthy in the fact that you have access to Bibles, but you have access to more biblical resources than ever before in the history of the Christian church. You are so wealthy. Don't squander it. Don't throw it away, but learn the Scriptures. Take the time to learn. Don't, don't base your life on tradition like the Pharisees. That's what was happening. It was all about tradition. Well, tradition says this, tradition says that. And now when they confront Jesus, their traditions are being confronted. And they're unyielding to Jesus. And remember last week we just talked about that new wineskins for new wine. Because the old wineskins were no longer pliable enough. They weren't elastic enough. They would, they would break and burst under the pressure of the new. And here we're seeing the new covenant, the new work of Christ, and the old is not tolerating it. It is, 
it is uh, constricting it, and their traditions won't move. And I'd ask you, do you have any traditions in your life that aren't biblical? Maybe it's something you grew up with. I, I, I grew up in a, a Presbyterian church. Jokingly, I call it the Frozen Chosen. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because when I came out of the Presbyterian church into more of an evangelical um, non-denominational church, for me it was like I had a heart all of a sudden that I never had before. I, I loved God in a different way. Now, I, I know for, for those coming out of the <laughs> evangelical churches, they feel like young people, when they all of a sudden start reading some of the uh, writings and stuff of, uh, of commentators and so on, they, they feel like, oh, man, I just discover, discovered that I can love God with my mind for the first time or something like that. I don't know. But so I think sometimes the way we grow up depends on where we go for church. But here, here's what I do know. I learned lots of traditions growing up. One of which was we said the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. The whole church stood up. We would say the creed. We'd have responsive readings in church. We'd go through it every Sunday. And, and I, I began in, in junior high. I was confirmed. That means that in junior high, well, first of all, I was baptized when I was two. And then the pastor said, he's going to be a preacher someday because I screamed the whole time. So you're lucky I'm not screaming, right? <laughs> and then... And then uh, I, I was confirmed when I was uh, in eighth grade, so that means I got to take communion with the church and take part in the Lord's table. And I, uh, they said, okay, you're a Christian. I wasn't. I just knew how to say stuff. I knew how to repeat stuff. And, and, and so I grew up in this church. I knew that, okay, preacher's coming up, sleep time, wake up. Worship time, don't lift your hands too high, no clapping. Whoa, <laughs> let's not get crazy with that. Um, <laughs> in my church, clapping was a big controversial issue. Um, and so, some, some of you may remember that or not. Um, but anyway, that's how, how I, I grew up. And there were traditions, and with those traditions, I thought those traditions were, were what made me Christian. And I started remember reading the Apostles' Creed one day, and I said, hey, it says here that Jesus descended into hell. Where does it say that in the Bible? And I was, I was meeting with Pastor Rod, and Pastor Rod's like, you know, it doesn't really say that in the Bible. The Apostles' Creed is good, but, but it's more of an inference. They're taking it from other scriptures and so on. And here, everybody I talked to said, oh, yeah, after when Jesus was in the grave those three days, he went to hell. Now, we can have a discussion about that later on. But the question is, is whether or not the text says it. Does the Bible say it? Does it teach it? And here, we find the Pharisees confronting tradition with Jesus. And Jesus says, have you never read? And he tells a story about David. King David was hungry. If you remember, King David was on the run for his life from Saul. He, he, he didn't have time to grab anything. He had no weapons. So him and his men, they, they took off. And um, they end up in Nob. And there, there they go to the tabernacle. And they, they go to the priest and said, hey, we're really hungry. We need some food. And the priest says, I don't have any food. The only food we have is the bread of presence. The showbread. And in the law, the showbread is only for the priest. The priest gets to take part of that. It's a meal that's a fellowship with the Lord that's holy, just between the Lord and the priest. It's kind of awesome that we get to have that every week, right? A fellowship meal with God. And David said, oh, man, but we are hungry. And so Abiathar says, well, have your men kept themselves pure from women and so on? Yeah, yeah, we've, we're pure. We haven't done anything. And he said, okay, well, I'll give you this bread. So he took the bread and he ate it. Then he, then he asked for Goliath's sword, 
Remember he slew Goliath? Well, that's where the sword was being kept, so he got that, so he had a sword. And um, so Jesus brings this up as a, as a question to, to ask the Pharisees, hey, why was it excusable for David? Now think about this for a minute. David was God's anointed king. He'd already been anointed. But Israel did not recognize him. We're kind of in a similar situation here. Jesus, God's anointed one, that's what Christ means, or Messiah, it means anointed one. Israel's not recognizing him. The religious leaders, not recognizing him. And here, they're challenging him on it. And he's saying, if it was all right for David to do this, if David could do this, why are you getting on me about this? And then he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God gave you a day of rest so that you could be blessed by it, not so that you could just uh, be under a law, that you could be under restrictions, that you could worry about breaking it. It was just so you could rest. So the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, he says. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the second time and the last time we're going to see Jesus use this term in Mark um, the Son of Man, until Peter's confession. Then we'll see it more. And it's interesting that it, both times happen in this chapter where they're questioning Jesus' authority to forgive sins or to change up the way the Sabbath is. Now, remember, Christ said he came to fulfill the law, not to, not to condemn it. And so we see in, in um, Matthew, we get a little bit more insight into this because Matthew, Mark leaves out a little bit more of this story. And in Matthew chapter 12, and you can turn there if you want, chapter 12, verse 5, after he talks about David, King David, he says, Or have you not read in the law how, the, how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? And that's Jesus just saying, hey, why is it that priests can break the Sabbath and they're guiltless? Because God made this provision. He had the authority to do so. Verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here, and if you, you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, <clears throat> you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so with this second question, Jesus exposes something. He says, something greater than the temple is here, or someone. Jesus is here, and he's greater than the temple. What Jesus is saying is, I have an authority way beyond all of your rituals and traditions. My authority goes beyond the temple. And if the temple law says that the priest can break this, then certainly I am guiltless before you. And God says I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So the fact that you're, you're imposing a law above man's needs means you've twisted this up. It shouldn't be a burden. The Sabbath should be candy for you. That's really what it is. I have a Messianic Jewish friend, and a Messianic Jew is someone who continues to, to celebrate uh, a lot of the feast and, and Judaism the way they are, but they're a Christian. They've been born again. And she was telling me, she's like, you know what? I love candy. I'm all about the candy. Uh, when, when, I, when God says to do something, I go, okay, what's the candy aspect? What, what am I going to get out of this? Uh, and, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the candy. Just for knowing God, I get to rest in Him. It's the candy. 
You see, if you make it into a burdensome law, law or it burdens upon you and you start feeling guilty about the Sabbath, you've lost the blessing. You've lost the candy. And so we don't want to do that. By the way, I'm sorry to interrupt, but is the air on? Because it's really hot up here, but I don't know if it's hot down there, but it's probably lights. So, all right. So Jesus said um, he's guiltless, and he's, he's Lord of the Sabbath. Right after that, we find this issue, or the, this healing of the man. And I really believe that what the Pharisees did at this point was they said, all right, he's going to profane the Sabbath. Now we're going to catch him. We're going to set him up. And, and I, I believe that the Pharisees brought in a man with what's called a withered hand. And, uh, and the Greek word there is, uh, it just means dried up. Uh, so I, we're not really sure what it looks like exactly, but, but clearly it probably looked much different. Probably like most of the blood and things weren't flowing to it and it was not usable. Now, understand what the big deal is with this. You come into the Jewish synagogue, Jews don't pray like we do. When, when I say, hey, let's pray, what do we all do? Right? <laughs> and with Jews, when you say, let's pray, okay? Now you got a guy with a withered hand, okay? It's a huge deal. Everybody sees it. They all see that this guy, his hand doesn't work. And remember how the Jews viewed sickness. Sickness was often a sign of sin. I got to go show my sin to everybody, every time. I go to church. He's getting up there. And these guys, they bring him in. Now, Mark says that Jesus asked the question, but Matthew says that the Pharisees asked the question. He says, the, the, the Pharisees say, um, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And I, I, I think that they brought this man in and they said, is it lawful? And Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he healed the man. And, and in Matthew, Jesus says something really interesting. Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. There was a provisional law to help your animal out of a pit. But instead, we're going to bring this man in and show him off with his weakness and his withered hand. And we're going to say, oh, don't heal. And by the way, notice what Jesus does to heal. He's not over there concocting a potion. He's not making some, oh, let me go pick some herbs and do all this sort of stuff. Jesus merely speaks. That's all he does. He speaks. He tells the man. Look what he says. He says, stretch out your hand to the man. Now listen, whenever Jesus gives us a command, he also enables us to fulfill that command. Anytime God gives you a command, he will enable you to fulfill that command. Stretch out your hand. The man with the withered hand stretches it out. Talk about church, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> and we're going to see... After this, man, does it, it spreads like wildfire what Jesus did in the synagogue that day. And people start coming from all over the place. So Jesus has to get boats on to preach from because they push in. It spreads. 
that he stretches out his hand. But notice that the people, the Pharisees, put the traditions above the people. They've got it backwards. God puts the person first. He sees you. He doesn't want you to follow a bunch of traditions. He wants your heart. He wants to know you. He could have done all, all, he could have just said, okay, I'm destroying everybody. You're sinners. To hell with all of you. I'm going to recreate. God would have been absolutely just in doing that, yet he doesn't. Instead, he is born in a manger, becoming a man, living life as us. Philippians says that he emptied himself, emptied his glory, took it, left it behind in heaven, emptied all that himself, and became a man, lived among us, tempted like us, accused beaten, stricken, dying, shedding his blood for you and me so that we can have fellowship with him. What an awesome God how he puts the person first. The law was originally given for man's good, but the more we see the law, the more we realize we can't keep it. So what does this mean for you and me? How do we deal with the Sabbath? Well, first of all, like I said, Jesus is, is our rest. Jesus is my rest, and he can be yours too. Colossians says something so interesting in regards to the Sabbath. You know, in the, in the New Testament, we don't ever see um, the early church talk about the Sabbath, address the Sabbath. We see no instruction for keeping the Sabbath. In fact, when the Gentiles first start coming to Christ, they say, hey, what should we do? Should we circumcise them? Should we make them keep the Sabbath? Those two most important things for a Jew. And they said, no, 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 let's tell them to abstain from sexual immorality Tell them not to worship idols or to drink blood. Just tell them those three things. And let them grow in Christ. That's, <laughs> that's the deal. Those were the important things that they decided at the council in Jerusalem. So Paul writes this in Colossians 2.16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but... The substance belongs to Christ. Or actually that word for substance is body. The body is of Christ. So the new moon festivals, the Sabbath rest, these things were all a shadow of what actually is Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment of those things. Earlier on in Colossians, just a few verse earlier, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made, a, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set, this he set aside, nailing it to a cross. He canceled the debt, the record of debt. He canceled all of your broken laws, all of your law breaking, everything that you've done. Christ has canceled it. He nailed it to a cross. So in regards to the Sabbath, that was a covenant made with Israel at Sinai. Now we're under the new covenant, covenant in our hearts. God has put his, his desires in us, his law in us. And so we go to the Word and we learn what we should do. 
clearly it's good for us to have a day of rest. Clearly it's good for us to set aside a day to worship the Lord. But that's just a blessing to you. You can have that. But there's no legal restrictions anymore because the law has been completely fulfilled in Christ. So how do we deal with the Sabbath rest? Well, I'll tell you right now. There's only one way to get this rest and to be a part of it and to fulfill this command. If you aren't in Christ, you are still breaking this command of not keeping the Sabbath, not keeping it holy. If you have come to Christ through what he did on the cross, that command is fulfilled and he is your rest, the author of Hebrews says. We enter into our rest through Christ. Christ has become our rest. Rest from what? (laughs) Amazing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter um, 11, and I, I have to turn there because my, for some reason, I didn't transfer my notes. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Nice job, honey. Or my wife's on the slides tonight. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11, 28. Jesus gave this call out. Come to me. You come. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That, that's what Jesus said. You come to me. Anyone who's Burdened down, heavy laden. Anyone who's tired, well, what were they tired from? From keeping the laws. They were tedious. The law was a taskmaster, a, 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 a slaver to us, the, the Roman says. And Jesus calls it out saying, you come to me if you want rest. If you want rest from this, you come to me. He's our Sabbath rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The yoke obviously being what is put on the oxen to pull whatever they're dragging or plow or whatever it is that they're doing. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm not going to burden you down with all these laws. I'm not going to do all these things that you're like, I don't know what to do. Jesus calls us as sinners He doesn't say, okay, clean up everything, now come. He calls us to sinners, and then he confronts us as we grow in him. It's funny, I I went fishing with my girls, and uh, we've been trout fishing uh, a couple times, and most of the time we get skunked. It's kind of a bummer. Um, And every time I go by myself into the Sierras, I catch fish like crazy. It's like awesome. I'm like, I'm such a great fisherman. Well, what I've realized is I'm a terrible fisherman. Just for some reason, I catch fish in the Sierras when I'm by myself. And so, uh, anyway, we, we caught some fish, and uh, so the girls were all excited. You know, um, basically I had uh, a friend of ours, she, she cast it in for them and then handed it off to them, and they're willing in, bam, they get a fish, and, and so it was all good. Well, and by the way, when you take little kids fishing, what happens is you spend most of your time just tying hooks. That's all you do. You tie hooks constantly because they c- catch every bush around and peep person. Well, uh, we took the fish over, and... Um, we, we had to clean them and gut them. And uh, the difference between a boy cleaning an animal and, and – because when you do it with youth kids or boys, they're like, yeah, this, uh, look at that. It's all gross and stuff. They're loving it. With, with girls, it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to touch it. No, come on. You have to learn how to do this. No, I'm not touching it. Like, touch the fish. No. And it's a big ordeal. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of think about that, and, and I think that's a lot about, like, the way Jesus calls us. We're, we're dirty, and we need to be cleaned. And he calls us as is. And he cleans us up after he's caught us. He cleans us up completely. 
from the inside out. We don't start clean, that's for sure. But he will confront us. He'll deal with us. And the question is, will you yield to him in your life? Will you let him be on the throne? Will you let him confront sin in your life and deal with it? So if you do that, you're going to find that the burden is easy because Jesus is taking care of it all. He's taking care of it in me. I don't need to worry about stuff. I just need to love him and read his word. (laughs) If I do these things, I'm going to know what he wants, what his expectations are, what he expects of me, and I'm going to grow in him. Um, So he has done this work. He's nailed it to the cross. He can be your rest too. And so I want to ask you tonight, have you made him your rest? Have Have you decided to rest in Jesus? If you haven't, let me encourage you to make that decision to say, Lord, I want what you've done for me, for me on that cross. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want to give you all of it, all of my dirt, all of my garbage I'm giving to you, and I'll trade it up for what you got for me, Lord. Because what he's got for you is clean garments, a crown. He's going to call you a saint. It's like, whoa, how's that even possible? Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, that for your marvelous plan, your marvelous works, Lord, that we can come to you so dirty, so messed up, and Lord, you, you clean us. You'll spend our, our lifetime cleaning us and preparing us for your kingdom. And we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our, our rest. That, God, we don't have to struggle or toil anymore to make sure not to break any commands, but Lord, we know that You're putting them in our hearts, our convictions, that we can rest in you, that we can enjoy you, we can set aside time for you, and we're no longer under these restrictions of the law that we couldn't bear. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that hasn't made the decision to follow you, Lord, that they would do so now. You just cry out, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I welcome you into my life. I'm ready to follow you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for those two wonderful testimonies given in the baptismal. Wayne and Anna, ready to follow you, Lord. That's what you're doing in all of us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.